BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Okay, you guys, you know how people want to win the lottery, but you're like, have you bought a lottery ticket? And they're like, no. It's like, oh, do you think you're just going to win the lottery? The same goes for dating. You know, people that complain about being single think they're just going to meet somebody on the street, which that's a lovely romantic movie. And it could happen. I'm not saying it can't happen, but you're being way more proactive and you're taking way more initiation and you're being way more out there if you're doing the work, like going out, like joining dating apps. And the dating app I want to recommend to you is Match. So Match, the dating app, is pretty hot and bothered about this topic. Understandably, it's a juicy one. Match believes the most important relationship is the one you have with yourself. So in a world where you can choose to do anything or anyone, choose you first. Because dating someone who knows what they want and won't settle for less, that's sexy as hell. Be your own best friend with benefits. If they're the ghosting type, be your own boo. If they're only hot and you're only bothered, make yourself hot and bothered. If you do you, you already know the best relationships show up when you show up for yourself first. There's never been a better time to try Match. Download the Match app today. This is Amanda Hirsch from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. You might know me from Not Skinny But Not Fat on Instagram, where I spend my time talking about reality TV, celebrities, everything happening, and pop culture. I also talk to some of our favorite celebs and reality TV stars. We talk about what's going on. Tune in every Tuesday and just feel like you're talking with your best friends in your living room. Okay, you guys, today's special guest is host, actress, and now author, New York uh, Times bestselling author, Kelly Rippa. I How does that sound? Believe it's still not registering. When the list came out a couple of weeks ago, and there I was, I was with a group of people. I had just done Jimmy Fallon's show. And everybody is jumping up and down and screaming and yelling and crying. And I have no reaction because I had floated away somewhere because I was fully prepared to not be on the list. And so my only reaction that I had was one of devastation. That was my only like handy, my, my handy <laughs> reaction that was stored up was one of disappointment and, and, oh, well, well, like maybe people will buy it anyway, you know, 
blah, blah, blah. Like I had talked myself into that headspace. So when I was on the list, then I had almost no reaction. Everybody was like, I think she's in shock. I think. And so I was trying to like access the happy part of my brain, which seemed inaccessible at that point because I had tucked, tucked hope away and then allowed only possibility of devastation in. But is that like a method to like avoid disappointment? I think it's a method that certainly I utilize a lot. And I I don't know anybody that everybody in my in my world, in my headspace, in my friend group, even my friends who are full time stay at home moms, homemakers, they operate from a place of prepare for the worst. And if it's not as shitty as you expected, then okay, good. But maintain an even keel because it's going to be, I found at least through the writing process, this book took me on a roller coaster ride and I was like queasy most of the time. So I started to adapt a flat effect to everything. That way I didn't, I didn't say, oh my gosh, this is poet laureate stuff, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Or I didn't say, this is garbage. I just stayed somewhere in the middle. And that's what, how I, this is where I attack everything from now. It's just this place of let's be nice and flat about it. So I thought it was so funny and so relatable and so easy to read. And so like there were moments where I lulled and like my husband was in the room and he's like, are you like laughing to yourself? Because I feel like your writing was so the way you talk and like when you did caps, like I knew what you meant by those caps, you know, and even the asterisks on the bottom, multiply the drinks by three. I mean, I won't give it all away, but I really, really, really enjoyed the book. And I felt like you talked about doing like the personal essay, like the essays versus just writing the memoir and how you took on like a harder task. So what was that? How did you decide on that at the beginning? The woman who would become my editor, Carrie Thornton. And by the way, I just want to say thank you for reading it. And I really, you know, I appreciate your voice because it's hard to write a book. It's, I really ignorantly thought that because I read books all the time, that I could suddenly somehow now translate that into writing a book, which is a way harder task. At least it was for me. I did it myself. I wanted to do it myself. I was steadfast in that. Like, if it's going to be written, I have to write it. But my editor, who the woman who would become my editor, Carrie Thornton. I can't believe you didn't take a ghostwriter. You guys have to know that most of the books you read, especially by celebrities, even reality stars, like I know for a fact from behind the scenes, like some reality stars that came out, like they're all using ghostwriters and Kelly didn't use a ghostwriter, which is a co. They call them like ghostwriters or co-write. Like they help them yes. put their thoughts and like writing down. What was funny is that anybody who reads the book, will it will be clear immediately <laughs> that there is no ghostwriting involved because I struggle in real time. And it was very funny when the copy editor was 
going through it and correcting all the mistakes. And I kept saying, no, 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 you have to leave those in. You, you must leave those mistakes in because that is a key to who I am. And the readers will get the, trust me on this. Anybody who knows me or maybe doesn't know me, these are, these are universal truths. Nobody understands a semicolon. Nobody understands when it is used. And I am going to struggle with that universally throughout. And I'm going to write about it in the book. And I, it needs to be left in because people cannot feel alone during this, <laughs> during this reading process. So what was interesting was, so Carrie had been after me for 20 years to write a book. And I just shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. And then she came to me during the pandemic and said, you know, I think it's time for you to write your memoir. And I was like, memoir? Are you crazy? Like, I have so much else that I want to do. I'm at the midway point. I'm not memoir ready. I'm not ready to write my memoir. She goes, what about a collection of essays? You're just so funny. And I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if I can write. I, I, I've never written, I mean, I've written a couple of scripts that were sold but never made. So that's like, oh my God, that's not a good sign. You know, and I've written a lot of thank you notes that my friends think are really funny. And I write punch up humor for my friends' speeches when they're giving speeches. But that's not like a book. That's not a book. Okay. So she said, do me a favor send me a writing sample, write me a story and send it to me. And I wrote her the story that's in the book that I tell all of my friends. This is my dinner party go-to. This is the story that if we're, Mark and I are on a couple's date with new people, he'll say, oh, tell the Richard Gere story. Oh, I, I was going to guess. Ugh, I was going to guess yeah. the Richard Gere. And so I sent her the story. I, I wrote it down the way I tell it, you know, is it a hundred percent? Is it a hundred percent? Okay. Yeah. It's a hundred percent. And <laughs> literally, I don't think she even edited that chapter. Like, I don't think there was a single edit. Like, this is too long. This is too this. This is too, it was all left exactly the way I tell it. And she got back to me and she said, you can write, keep going. And wow. that was her. And then what was funny after this book came out, she started getting phone calls asking her who I used as my ghostwriter because people wanted to use the person. And she said, oh, she wrote that herself. And they were blown away. So that was probably such like motivation, though, to keep going. It was. It was real motivation. And I think we all have these dichotomies in our personality where I have asshole syndrome and I think I can do everything because I saw it on TV and how hard can it be, right? And then I have self-doubt that lives in me, throughout me, and, and, and is constantly popping up saying, you know, you can't do anything right. You suck, essentially. <laughs> You know, so I've got like the angel and the devil and one is like, you can do it. You saw it on TV. <laughs> you used to watch Oprah. You can write a book. Right. And then the devil is like, or I don't know which one is which at this point, <laughs> but one of the, the other voices like you sit down and shut it 
because you are good at nothing. So shut it. You just have lips and a tongue, basically. And so, and I found that through this process, both voices were constantly chattering at me, constantly chattering at me. Just Thrive is my go-to probiotic. I have been complaining about gut issues for a while. And the first thing that even my mother, who she's very, very good about this stuff, is like, you need to start a habit of taking a daily probiotic, not just taking one out of the blue, taking it every day. And that's what I'm doing with Just Thrive probiotics because they really address the gut. Your gut, not your brain, is responsible for your stress response. So to manage stress and feel calm, you have to have your gut get what it needs to thrive. So personally, I trust Just Thrive Probiotic because it's recommended by some of the biggest names in the health industry. And it's a game changer for gas, bloat, and constipation. And really, I mean, I feel it in my body. What comes from my gut is everything. Like it could cause me anxiety. It could cause me chest pain. It could cause me bloating and and headaches and whatnot. So I'm really committed on this Just Thrive probiotic journey to get my gut to a better place. Just Thrive also makes Just Calm that has been clinically proven in multiple studies to help reduce stress, balance cortisol, improve sleep quality, and even encourage focus and flow. So you can pair Just Calm with Just Thrive. And really, that's a dynamic duo. So right now, you can get 15% off this dynamic duo when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code NOTSKINNY at checkout. That's Just Thrive Health dot com and use code not skinny at checkout. I want to know about the name because I didn't know if you were joking in the book where you did you really want to call it uneducated? I did. Yeah. Really? Educated was educated was my favorite book when it came out. I bought it for I bought maybe 50 copies of educated. I gave it to all of my producers, my children, friends, relatives. I was like, you have to read this book. It is the most inspirational, aspirational, overcome anything and everything book. And then I thought it was so funny if I I called my book uneducated because, you know, I graduated high school. I became an actor. I moved to New York. I am, I'm fundamentally uneducated. I have no writing credentiality. (laughs) new word (laughs) whatsoever. I have no area of expertise in anything that I've done in my life. And so I thought it might be funny to call it uneducated. And maybe people will accidentally buy it because they think it's educated, but they miss (laughs) the un part because that was my whole marketing strategy. The cover of my book, if you notice, it's (laughs) what's so funny is my son's coach got me a pillow. Yeah, there it is. But my son's coach got me a pillow with my book that's now casually. Oh, that's cute. Isn't that funny? But the publishing company did not want me to use that photo on the cover because I was not looking into the camera. Apparently that's a big no-no in the publishing world. You have to make eye contact with the camera. But I thought, hear me out. I thought I looked like Sarah Jessica Parker on the cover. (laughs) And My strategy was maybe people will think it's a book about 
Sex Carrie and Bradshaw. the City. Yeah, it has Carrie and Bradshaw vibes. So listen to this. My mom is recovering from heart surgery and the first advanced copy came out like right when she was out of surgery. So I wanted to like cheer her up and bring her this hard copy. And her nurse was there in the room and her nurse is this Irish lady. And she said, oh, Kelly, you've written a book about the girl from Sex in the City, have you? And I was like, it's working. My marketing strategy of people accidentally discovering my book and it being not what they expected was like for me psychologically. I know, but you're so interesting because you do talk about imposter syndrome in the book and how you didn't even know what it was. And then you thought you didn't have it. And then you thought you had it. But it is interesting because the fact that you, Kelly Ripa, who's been in this industry for a million years and almost every household in America knows you, you think you have to sell the book through like Carrie Bradshaw. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it makes sense though. I mean, if you read the book, it totally makes sense. (laughs) No, I know. I love, I love, I love the SJP mentions. I also love, there's so many relatable things. The fact that you repeated the, I should be thankful for my three healthy children. Like you're not Jewish, right? At all. It's like a Jewish thing. No, I I am not. But my friends who are Jewish, they claim me. They're like, <laughs> you were raised to have a very Jewish mentality. Yeah. And you you are uh, you are one of us. We claim yeah. you. Although I am Catholic, so that is like it there are like parallel religions. There's right. a lot of the similarities. And the, yeah. And totally mm-hmm. when you repeat I love that how there were certain threads in the book that just kept on coming like the I just need to be thankful for the three healthy children. <laughs> I was like, well, because literally? as we were going off on this book tour and I and I was uh, I was literally like, who would even want to come see me? You know, I, I was just like, why am I doing this? I thought it was over once you write the book and then you hand it to the and then people buy it or they don't. And and everybody said, are you? out of your mind. Now you're on a book tour. You're on a book tour, honey. And so as the voices started going, one was like, you can do it. This is New Jersey. These are your people. Nobody likes you. <laughs> Wait, but <laughs> And Mark would be there going, you have three healthy children. I love you. Nobody can ever take it. And Bethany Frankel was like, she's like, I said, what if nobody likes the book? And she goes, and then what? Like she was my, she was my co-consigliere. Mark was my psychiatric nurse. I had like people like propping me up. (laughs) Because this is another thing I feel like people might be shocked about in the book is that although you're on television every day, you have like stage fright and fear of public speaking, which did I go and Google you at the GLAAD Awards? Yes, I did. And I highly recommend, I mean, you said in the book, you were like, go YouTube it. Google it, YouTube it, get there. (laughs) You'd be amazed how many people like at these book events said, I Googled the GLAAD Awards. It's amazing. It's It's amazing. spellbinding because as you can tell, my mouth goes bone dry and I truly am in another, I had, in my defense, I had never taken a Xanax before. So I, and, and certainly not with a vodka. So you know, these two things apparently are <laughs> no-nos. And was I relaxed? Yes. 
I was, but I still, <laughs> there's no amount of Xanax that's going to control my own reaction to public speaking. You guys think about it. She's on television every morning, but you explain in the book how it is different, like the public speaking, making a speech versus TV. But I love that yeah, because part. at that point, it feels like it feels like people are in my living room. Right. So when we're doing the show, they're in my house. I'm not freaked out when people come into my house. But when I go to somebody else's house, I'm like, I don't belong here. Shouldn't be here. They probably are going to think I might steal something. Wait, and did you go on air the next day and say that you took a Xanax? Yes, <laughs> I did. I, I mean, I, that's my confessional. I let it all unfold. Oh. I mean, it's, it's, I am an honest person. I come from a place of honesty. I don't think that there's anything, you know, like I've been doing live the talk show for 23 years and you don't survive very long there. If you're not comfortable telling people who you are, how you are and what you are. And, and so it's all played out for all of these years. People know these things, but they don't know how deep it runs. And I think that's what the book, the book is like clarifies this stuff runs deep. This is who I am. It's not, you know, it's, it's meant to look easy, but it's not easy. It's challenging. Everything that we all do, these are universal truths. People go to their jobs every day, right? And what we don't take into consideration, say, say I'm going to a doctor's appointment and I assume everything behind the scenes is running smoothly, but I don't know that people could be going through deep, deep things in their lives that I'm unaware of. And I could be going through deep, deep things in my life that my audience is unaware of. And if I've succeeded in making them unaware, then I've done my job correctly. But once in a while, because I'm a human being, I let it it all hang out. It all hangs out. And I think that's what's kept people maybe interested for, you know, the 23 years they've allowed me into their living rooms. Maybe that's, you know, it's that tune in factor of you never know what she's going to say or do. So it better, better tune in, (laughs) you know, because that's what it is. It's live TV. There are, there's not a safety net. We don't have safety nets, you know, except for those, you know, once in a while tape days, we don't have a safety net there. Okay. Holidays are coming up. It's super difficult to find a holiday gift that keeps the kids excited after the 30 seconds that they open it. But I have one for you. It's Kiwi Co. So Kiwi Co. crates are amazing and they deliver fun for all ages. And they're here to help you give awesome. So with a Kiwi Co. subscription, you're giving so much more than a toy. You'll get a season of discovery and experiences delivered straight to your door. So each box is kid approved by a crew of kid testers to ensure they're age appropriate and seriously fun. So from the moment Noah was born, I was like, how do I know what toys and like learning activities are appropriate for his age? And really the Kiwi Co-Crates 
helped me and gave him his most adored first toys from, you know, a tummy time mirror to shakers. And every box has a theme if it's like shapes or colors or sensories. This is a great holiday gift. Give awesome this holiday season with KiwiCo. Get your first month of any crate line free at KiwiCo.com slash not skinny 50. That's your first month free at KiwiCo, K-I-W-I-C-O.com slash not skinny 50. I want to talk about Mark a little bit. He is all over the book. I got to see his gorgeous face just before we started. You're like in love still. Like legit. How are you 20 more than 25 years? 20, the- yeah, we're 26 years married. 27 together. I don't know why I always make that distinction. We're actually 27 years <laughs> together. But as if that one year makes it somehow so much more legitimate. No, I'm deeply in love with my husband. How long have you been married? We're together for like 12 years. 12 years. So you're in it. We're in it. And we just had a baby two years ago. And I like pretty much didn't like him the first year of the child's life, I feel like, you know, and I'm getting nicer now. He's like, wow, like you're, you're getting nicer. It was a year of like me being that nice. But you are like, he doesn't have bad breath. He always looks at me. But you know what that means, Kelly? I want to I want to tell you. And I wrote a note to myself, a mental note. I think he could. But I think you're so in love still, which is wild that you don't smell it. What do you think? I don't know, because (laughs) it's funny, like even when our kids were little, you know, your kids are like, oh, they they're just the truth tellers of the world. (laughs) They're like, daddy never has bad breath. They say, okay, so the kids say, it, but mommy. And I'm like, yeah, well, my breath smells like fear. So there you go. Well, so mommy. one of us is totally relaxed and one of us is afraid all the time. <laughs> but do you think his hotness, his hotness is a common thread in the book, I yeah. feel like. Like you can't stay away from, I mean, you he, you could tell he's an amazing dad and, and husband, but but there is emphasis on the hotness too. I think that the emphasis on the hotness <laughs> is more of like my own my own, like I am in disbelief all the time because Stop. I, Kelly Ripper from Berlin, New Jersey, who minimally, like when I, like if they had this category in my high school, girl, most likely to fly beneath the radar and be totally like nothing. I would have taken that crown. Like I would have been in the yearbook, like me just sitting there, like, you know, and to, you know, to level up, it's just like, I'm always amazed that I maybe that's the trick to like marry somebody. I wonder. I wonder if like historically that works for other people. Like don't marry the guy because everyone says like marry your best friend, which he was. But like don't. Oh, people actually say make sure they love you more than you love that. There's all these tips. But I wonder because your story is so romantic and like really one in a million kind of. And you in the book tell the story of how you met and how you dreamt about him before being the father of your kids and how you like knew looking me. So and I always think to give advice to my single friends, like that's the guy you don't end up with kind of vibe, you know, like not the guy you're like obsessing over and dream about and think is like, but for you, it worked. On paper, it should not have worked. I say it all the time. I'm like, how are we still married? Why? How did we? 
like, did we make a deal with some, you know, this one again? Like, how how did it work? It shouldn't have worked. It doesn't make sense. You should not. Like, I married my crush. <laughs> it's very counter everything. I be- I am like you. I feel that you're a pragmatic person. I feel that you're a practical person. I am the same way. I am very practical. And this practically made no sense <laughs> at all. Like, first of all, marrying an actor, that's that was like in on my no list. Like, I will never marry an actor because there is no stability there, right? But not only did I marry an actor, I married my co-star, <laughs> which is rule number two. Do not involve yourself with your co-star because that never works. Yeah. What if I'm falling in love with his character? <laughs> you right? <laughs> what, yeah. what if I what if it's his character I'm in love with? But as it turns out, I went against the grain of like that other voice that is like, mm. this will never work you shouldn't do this. This will be ultimately bad for you. And I decided to take, take this chance. He was very convincing also. He was super convincing. He's a very persuasive person. Mm. And, and here's the other thing. This cannot be understated. He's a kind human being. When you see kindness, you know, I watch him with his parents. I watch him with my parents. I've watched him with our nieces and nephews. And he is kind. He shows up. He's intellectually curious. When he asks you, you know, he'll say, you'll bump into him one day, Amanda. And he'll say, how are you? How's your husband? How's your baby? And he will actually listen to what you said and he will remember it the next time you speak. Mm. I don't know anybody like besides Tom Cruise that does that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good quality that it means a lot. It means a lot when people remember. I feel like that's such a good method. If you're not instinctually like this, maybe do it. And then people will like feel really good. You know what That's I mean? That's why I journal. I journal. Andy Cohen told me, he's like, you've got to start journaling. Write everything down. Write as much down as you can remember. Mm. And because I have that ability where I'm half, sometimes half in my body, sometimes half out. Sometimes multiple people are talking to me at the same time. And I'm trying to. And also I, you meet to, a lot of people every day. I do. I meet a lot of people every day. It goes with the territory. And, and so I find myself surrounded by multiple conversations and I do want to give each person their attention. Cause I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to talk to somebody that means something to me and to have their half attention mm. or to not, to know that it's not like landing. Right. Yeah. And I don't ever want to do that. Sometimes it's unavoidable, like when there's multiple people, say, at a book event, which is new for me. Right, right. And I am like, okay, hang it, hang on, because I need to hear this. And then I want to hear that. 
you know, and then people saying, we've got to go, we've got to go, we've got to move. We're going to miss our flight to the next book event, you know? And so you're just like, DM me and I will respond to you. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. DM her and she'll respond. Well, I wanted to just tell people if you're feeling bad for a moment, you're like, oh my God, Mark is so perfect. Why, you know, is my husband not like this? He does have a few flaws that you write about in the book and that are so like, I always wonder if all men are the same and his flaws are man flaws. There are things that happen. Like when you said that Mark would die at a level three pain. I mean, every you know what it's like to live with a, like a man who's sick is like the worst. This entire book, this collection of essays is about universal truths. Mm-hmm. There are universal truths. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a woman or a man. I don't care if you have a fancy job, a fancy job, or, you know, you work in at, at a, at a, you know, a, an hour, whatever it is. It's, there are certain universal truths to this book. And one of them is that men's pain thresholds are so far askew from women's pain thresholds. And that is, those are the facts. Every time I went into labor, he passed out. I am thinking is, and I may, and he says it's because he has empathy and he feels Aww. the contractions the same way, except that no, you don't because <laughs> you are not feeling them at all. So yeah. I know that you psychologically think you're feeling them, but you only passed out. Whereas if you were actually feeling them, you would have jumped through the plate glass window of the hospital and ended it Dive. because it's that intense as you, as you know, I did a question box after I gave birth. I was like, tell me the stories of your husband's at your birth. And when I tell you it was the most entertaining thing of my life, like they were all the same. They're all complaining about the, the, the chair they're fainting They're They need a nurse for some reason. They need to go home and rest. They're tired after it's wild. So you have a lot of that in the book that like, like you said, it's universal truths that are so relatable, like you hovering, <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm at that stage still with my son. Like when you put your baby to sleep and you're like the hovering and then the touching a little and then the walking away and the crawling and what you do, the hovering ninja to the things you do <laughs> to not wake a sleeping baby. And then like your elbow cracks or your knee. Cracks. And that's when you wrote that, I was like, Oh my God, how does she know? Like literally the first time you'll notice your bones crack so much is when you have a baby and you're trying to leave the room. Like it never happens in other places. We WD-40'd everything in our house that could be WD-40'd. What is that? Because it's this thing that it's like an, a lubricant for for the door. No. F- so when you open the door, it doesn't creak. It doesn't creak. Or when you touch things, they don't creak because we started noticing a creaky quality to everything because the creak would wake him up. Now, don't get me wrong. He would sleep through, say, a fireworks explosion. Right. Oddly. (laughs) Like like that. Fireworks going off and he's out like a light. But when we were trying to- A bone cracking and he's like, what? (laughs) Or if Mark- like if we were trying to have sexy time, say Mark's zipper unzipping, <laughs> he would be like, what? 
Huh? <laughs> and we were in this tiniest little apartment. You can't imagine. It was me, Michael, our newborn baby, Mark, and every Consuelos known to man. They came from the four corners of the universe. And, and I was like, we'll get you hotel rooms. And they were like, no, we'll stay here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I always said in our, we have a 400 square foot apartment. It, it was just bodies everywhere, everywhere oh. you could think of. <laughs> oh my God. As you guys know, I am now a full blown Halloween mom because now that I have a baby, Noah's so into it. So I'm so excited that I'll be able to get everything at Macy's from costumes to decor. So it's just so great to get everything done in one place. Spooky season is here. As you know, from like Instagram, um, Halloween is practically here. You guys, you're going to see the celebrities and their costumes from now. So don't think it's only going to be October 31st. It's starting now. So the holidays seem to rush in one after another after Halloween gets here. But don't stress because Macy's is your one-stop shop for all your party hopping and party hosting essentials from casserole and pie dishes to home decor to gifts that'll chip away at your list early. Oh my God. Chipping away at your gift list early sounds like a dream. So go ahead and pick up your Halloween costume three hours before the party. No one has to know. Check out Macy's.com. That's Macy's.com to get totally and completely holiday ready. Now is the time, you guys. Macy's.com. That's Macy's.com. Your one-stop shop for all your party and holiday essentials. I wanted to get a little bit into your the job that you you know now have aside from author, which is you know being a TV host for years upon years from live with Regis and Kelly. What I want to know is yes. you say this, and it's also relatable because you say in general it doesn't matter the job, like you were saying before. You're not always BFFs with your coworker. No, I mean, and I, I mean that that used to be like considered like professional, mm -hmm. but in certain rarefied jobs, and I think I have one of them, that's like an expectation, not so much of the people that work with you or around you, but the audience maybe expects mm. that. And I think that's a very hard pressure zone to put on two people. I don't think it should be there. I think that friendships either evolve organically or they maintain their professional level organically. And I think most art should be, it should be celebrated. People want to like imagine that the chemistry translates to off screen, hanging out, like being besties and all of that. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, Regis and I only hung out together a handful of times off camera but they were some of the best off-camera times of my life. Like, I still laugh about his ability to hold court and to basically be a stand-up comedian at any dinner or any, wherever, whatever it was, it was the funniest night. He had that ability. 
But when you're a new person joining a well-established show and a well-oiled machine, and if if you read the book, you know this, I take his side in this entire argument. He should not have had to have a host assigned to him. That's not fair. He paid his dues and he established this show. And I really advocate for him in this book. You know, that it's hard to strangers from two completely different generations, putting them together with such different backgrounds and different, like I was not a Hollywood insider. You know, I did not I did not spend years in the business establishing a rapport with people. I was from Berlin, New Jersey. I got lucky. I auditioned for the soap opera. I was a teenager. I got this job, never went to college. I did not have any connections into show business. It was like luck and tenacity, luck and tenacity Mm. and maximizing your opportunities. And so it's like very very divergent people coming together into this workplace. And, you know, I, I felt for him because he was so famous and was so well-established. And these are things that I didn't know at the time, but they were explained to me over the first few years that I worked there. You know, it's like, once you start your job, it becomes clear, oh, I I get it now. You know, when I first, I, I didn't even think I was auditioning for the show. I thought I was just filling in for the day. That's what I was told. And I was told they weren't looking for a host. And I, I was like, no problem. I already have a job. I am very overwhelmed as it is. I, you know, I have a toddler. I was pregnant. Nobody knew that. You know, it's like there were all of these things going on in my mind. I was trying to figure out a way to like get off camera and stay there, you know, because I had my hands full. I really had my hands full. And I didn't want to go through all of this again. You know, uh, there was no maternity leave. You're an independent contractor. So I just did not have like that in me. And, and so I sort of walk, you know, if you're reading this one chapter in the book, because it's like, like, you know, it's a very small portion of the book, but I feel like I needed to talk about my work life a little bit and how I wound up doing what I've been doing for 23 years. Mm-hmm. But it was a very disquieting position to be in to suddenly have this opportunity handed to me and rapidly so. And I had no area of expertise in this field, but when has that ever stopped me? But I really was very insecure about my own ability, but I was hyper sensitive to the the feelings all around me that this was this was like new and unusual terrain I was wading into. And I did, I couldn't put my finger on it. Mm. You know, I couldn't put my finger on it. It wasn't until it was like sort of explained to me between these two battling forces within the company that I didn't even know existed. I was so ignorant. I was just an actor on a soap opera. I didn't know any of that. Do you think, Kelly, that, that Regis 
looking back, would have wanted the show alone or would have wanted a, a co-host that was, like you said, more like in the industry, more, you know, had more I, years you know, under their belt? I can't answer that. I mean, I certainly didn't think he needed a co-host. Mm. I mean, I found you did myself, it alone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I found myself watching the show the first, you know, the first few months I was there, I would just watch the show, but sitting like in a really good seat, you know, and (laughs) I was, if I was agog, you know, and I would watch the show and listen to the stories. And then, you know, a cue card would go up, you know, saying, ask a question (laughs) (laughs) because I was so into watching the show. I, you know, barely managed to eke out anything. So I can't get into what he wanted or would have wanted. I just know from my perspective, he certainly didn't need me there. I was not like, I didn't feel like I added anything to him. At the beginning, you're saying not. Yeah. At the beginning, at the beginning, but people I think related to me and my you know, weird discomfort and my star struckedness. Yeah. And I, it's something that has never waned. You know, I, I people go, how can you still be starstruck? And I go, well, you sit in a room with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and tell me how not starstruck you would be. Right, right. So I think what people, because like you were saying about friendships on the job, because we're like, oh, they look so like chitty chatty. How aren't they doing this all the time? But you go into the book and you do mention some things that were hard at the beginning behind the scenes that yeah. you even say at some point you're like, if I knew all of this, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. No, if I had known going in, I wouldn't have done it. And how sad for me. Yeah. Right. How sad for me. <laughs> if luckily if you, it, yeah. ignorance is bliss. <laughs> There's a certain that saying is true. Ignorance is bliss. I didn't know that there was so much infighting between these two factions and that I was considered like a network girl, which is so ridiculous. I was one of a 40 member ensemble cast on a soap opera, right? So I didn't consider myself and anything of anything. I considered myself just an actor. Everybody talked to me like I was a network broadcaster for decades. And I was an actor on a soap opera. (laughs) Our job was to play other people and to say the lines and to make love on camera and all of that, right? Like we were playing roles on TV. Suddenly they were breaking down Nielsen ratings to me minute by minute, market by market, affiliate by affiliate. I didn't know what an affiliate was. I had no idea what they were talking about. Don't mention this because we're on NBC in that market. And I'm thinking, what are they talking? Why are they? T-? And it's this thing that nobody sits you down and says, here's the story. This is what's up. This is what you need to focus on. This is how we expect you to comport yourself on the daily this is this, and that is that. There is no class for it. You just, you just pick up sort of show up one go. day. You pick it up as you go. You pick it up as you go. And sometimes you were expected to psychically pick up things that weren't necessarily <laughs> stated out loud or said out loud. 
And I think when you come into a well-established job, as privileged as that is, because that is a rare position of privilege, because I have friends that have launched talk shows and they, and they say to me, you didn't tell me it was going to be this hard, or you didn't tell me it was going to suck this much, or you didn't say, and I'm like, look, I've never launched a talk show. I've since relaunched versions of a talk show, but I walked into an established show. So I know that that is hard, establishing a show. It you know, it can like bond people together. Like we are in the trenches together, but I came in like as an outsider. And that is like, you are trying to find your footing. And I think that, you know, every single person reading this book has been the new gal, the new guy somewhere. And this is the chapter that, you know, on the book tour, people came to me and said, oh my gosh, I relate so much because I just joined wherever, this place. I'm a nurse at a hospital. And when I got there, I felt so like unsure of my own abilities that I was so certain of before I got there or, you know, you name it. People really dialed in and drilled down on how relatable it is to feel like you don't fit in. Even kids that are like, I just switched schools. This spoke to me. So I'm really offended that Dipsy hasn't offered me yet to narrate one of their shows. Okay. Because hello, do I not have a sexy voice? Don't answer that. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring sexy, hot scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. You can find a story about an intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with a hot yoga yoga instructor. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. So listen, you could find stories by celebrities like Sarnas J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, and Luke cook. New content is released every week. So you can listen to your favorite stories again and again, or you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read. So let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. And by the way, this is all in your ear so you could also like be folding laundry while getting, you know, hot and happy with yourself. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash not skinny. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A, stories.com slash not skinny, dipsy, stories.com slash not skinny. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Do you feel like it was taken out on you, that really like networky thing that had nothing that like you didn't even know was happening? Do you think that was taken out on you like in the daily? Because you explain in the book and you guys, if you read the book, you'll get it. Like there's 
there are people that wanted you there. There are people that didn't want you there kind of a thing. That's what I mean. Mm -hmm. And do you Mm -hmm. feel like that was the essence of kind of the hardship you experienced at the beginning? I think, yes, I I do. I actually do think that that was the essence of a lot of the hardship because Mm -hmm. it is hard to get the, the audience is the audience wants the continuity of the show they're watching. They like that. And anytime you are the new person, there is going to be a level of what's this about? And I think the reason the audience took to me and, and, and I'm so grateful they did the way they did. And as quickly as they did is because I was struggling publicly Mm. and maybe people didn't recognize it as a a struggle, but they recognized something in themselves that they saw in me, a person real, real unsure as to what it was they were doing. (laughs) And, and it just so happened that this person that was real, real unsure as to what they were doing just happened to be doing it on live television every single day. And that was, you know, it makes you humble real fast. There's a a humility aspect to it. I learned real fast to take any, any portion of my ego that I had left because I had been an actress at that point for 12 years. So any remaining ego I had was pretty much gone, but whatever was left, I took it and I just, you get rid of it, you know, and Michael Gelman gave me this really, our executive producer for 800 years, this poor man. (laughs) Wait, he's still the executive producer? still the executive producer. Wait, the man that you couldn't look in the eye is still the executive producer? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. But that was not like, it wasn't like, they just didn't want me looking him in the eye on camera because then it might cause people to turn and see what I was looking Looking at. at. Mm -hmm. And I guess unbeknownst to me, other hosts had been doing that a lot, Mm. turning around to see. Oh, so it wasn't don't look at Gelman like, like don't make eye contact because he's so, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Right. Okay. It's like, don't make eye contact contact with him on the set because when you do, people tend to turn around to see what you're looking at. Yeah. Right. And I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. It wasn't really explained to me. It was just like, don't look at Gelman. And I was like, okay. But then he came into my dressing room and I was like, wait, don't look at him here. So now I'm not looking at him there. And he seems Real, real down to earth. I, I wasn't understand. I was like, is he a diva? He doesn't seem that way. I don't yeah. know. But, so we like laugh about that because it's like these things that nobody really explains to you why mm. they just tell you the words because they got to get you ready fast. Right. It's fast. You get there and 15 minutes later, you are on camera. So it's fast. These like, don't do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do that. You know what I was picturing when you were describing the atmosphere and everything? I was picturing the morning show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. That's how I was trying to, like, envision it, like how it's so crazy in the product. Is it something like that at all? Okay, so this is going to make you laugh. When that show came out, my husband watched it. He was in Vancouver and I was in New York. And he's got a 
bunch of his friends are on that show. So he, you know, tunes in. The morning show is what we call our show, which is really funny. And then a few people on the set had watched it and they go, don't watch it. You'll find it triggering. (laughs) (laughs) So there are similarities. Apparently there are. I can't, but I I can't comment on them because I have not seen it. Oh, you listened to their advice. You were like, okay, I won't watch it then. Yeah. Oh, I, I, because, because these are people who really care about me, right? Mm -hmm. These are not strangers telling me. These are people that like I work with every day, my husband who loves me, my producers who love me. And they're like, it might send you into a bad headspace. You shouldn't watch it. I mean, you do the the show and you both kind of break down the like, this isn't as glamorous as you think. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, to say or at all or at all. I did (laughs) want to I did want to because I was shocked kind of when I saw Regis's former co-host Kathy Lee do an interview of her own on Fox with Rosanna Scotto. So this like made a lot of headlines, although when I went in to kind of read what she said, she didn't read the book. She was just, quote, very sorry to see the headlines. You never know what's true or what's not. She says, what's the point? I'm not going to read the book. I know what Regis was to me, my friend. And and this triggered me for you because now I'm like, you know, through the book, feel like I know you said she was just hoping the Lord protects Joy, Regis's wife and the girls, which that felt like, wow, like Lord protect them as if, you know, what you wrote was so harsh. So you spoke in the book about like narratives and correcting them and everything. So I did want to ask you about that so you could do that. Right. So it's a conundrum for me, right? Because I, again, I didn't see the interview. So I tend to like not go into deep dives about things I can't comment on because I haven't seen them. And then I write this entire chapter is about correcting the record in real time. Do you do it? Should one do it? Theoretically, should a person correct the record in real time or Should they not even, you know, comment on it? Because here's the thing. It's like, I talked to the people who read the book. I knew writing a book was going to open me up to all sorts of criticism, right? But people who read the book have a very different take on those chapters because they read the book. And so I don't, I'm not like, I'm a big free speech person, right? I think that we should all be able to speak. And, and so, you know, I'm also here to not advocate, like, you don't have to read every book. Nobody has to read every book on earth. And the comments I've gotten about those chapters have been overwhelmingly positive. And the people who read the book took away a lot of positivity from it. It is ironic that it is that chapter where I talk about what do I do in these situations? Do I advance a media narrative with clickbait and all of that stuff? Or do I just drop it? What did we decide on? I couldn't I I couldn't understand. Do we decide on do we address or do we drop it? Here's what I've decided. Here's what I've decided. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. It is really hard to sell a book. It's really hard to sell a book. 
right? And this is like week three of the book, right? And I mean, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I was not reading any headlines anywhere. And suddenly, all of these headlines pop up. And there's all of this attention on my book. So I am a person that tends to take a negative and turn it into a positive. And so my ultimate my ultimate comment is thank you. I mean, it's like really hard to get attention on a book that's been out for a couple of weeks. And now it's week two, second week on the New York Times bestsellers list. It's like, thank you. Because I think that people that read the book will have a very different take on the book. Do you think that if she specifically, if Kathy Lee read the book, would she have a different take, do you think? I think anybody that reads the book will have a completely different take on any any person that reads the book. I mean, book it's will interesting a- in general, you guys, to do an interview about a book that you didn't read when asked specifically about the book. I'm saying, of course, you don't have to read every book, but I'm saying if you're asked about a book you didn't read and you base it on the headlines, which, by the way, I did Google and I did look, which you said you didn't, and I didn't see, you know, horrible headlines about the Regis stuff. Like, I didn't see what she kind of insinuated. There were none. There there were... It's funny. I, I kind of went... I, I said to Mark, I was like, was there, did I miss? Cause I do miss a lot. I don't like, I actually have a thing on my phone where I don't get alerts. So you know how you can have like Google alerts about yourself? Gelman has Google alerts on me. I know mm. because he tells me, right. And so the only headline that came out was that my husband made me pass out during sex. And so that is the, so I don't even know, like it's literally headlines created suddenly out of, like, are those the headlines? Like, Wait, so are we thanking Kathy Lee essentially for doing the the interview? Because it got I'm just sold? saying <laughs> it's like, it really got a lot of suddenly there were headlines well, because you guys, people want to hear from her because she was actually or so she she says best friends with him off screen as well. Right. Yes. It, it is, if that's what she says in the interview, I again, I didn't. Yeah, she read, does. She I'm says, like, I'm the opposite. I don't comment on things I don't know about. So I don't know. So, yeah, she says that they were really close mm-hmm. to give people a little bit of a glimpse into that chapter. How would you how would you describe that chapter about your time working with Regis? And if you said anything, yeah. correcting narratives and yeah. kind of about how it was hard to work with him at times and you weren't treated like an equal, what can the readers expect from that chapter? Well, I think it's more it's it's more about like I, I keep I keep going back to the office, you know, this sitcom. It's a workplace dramedy. But it's not really, you know, if you read it, if you do the deep dive, I take his side in in most in most of the chapter. I am sort of on, I'm like on his side because I don't think, and again, at the time, I didn't know this. I had no awareness that this was not a choice for him. 
I didn't know I wasn't a choice for him. No, but Kelly, there were things that he said that I triggered me like, right. You know, make sure you know who your boss is. He called you well, it. So that wasn't the entourage from, that thing. Wasn't, he didn't say, make sure you know who your boss is. It was the network. WABC was calling my agent to let them know that they were my boss, oh. not ABC. That was the, oh, the make sure you know who network. your boss is. So it's like, WABC was telling my agent to let me know that they were my boss, not the network. Not the, the network was network. not my boss. And I mm. still could not for the life of me understand what the fuck anybody was talking about. <laughs> yeah. I had to read your description of trying to explain that. I was like, you know, when you yeah. reread a page, you're like, yes. okay, so it's so it's hard to explain. Hence, a picture a 30 year old woman who's pregnant, who has a toddler, who has a job where she works 12 hours a day, trying to conceptualize what they are talking about. I no, I was like, okay, uh, okay. So I referred to everyone as my boss. I'm not kidding when I say this. I would like maintenance people I would introduce to my parents as my boss. There were people, everybody became my boss because I wasn't sure who my boss was. Nobody ever told me. It was just this. So I learned in hindsight that WABC was letting me know that they were in charge and ABC was not in charge. Again, yeah, it's so ludicrous. It doesn't yeah. make any sense, but it was something I had to contend with because I was still, don't forget, working at ABC. And then, so I was constantly traveling between the two jobs, which by traveling, I mean walking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> I was constantly traveling <laughs> down the street, but it was like hard to have this. It, it, and when you start working someplace, and again, I learned quickly because I'm kind of a fast learner. You learn when somebody is laughing with you versus laughing at you. And there was a long, there was a, there was a long time of laugh ats before the laugh withs mm. began. Like That's you went the through, difference. you went through like a initiation vibe. Yeah, of course. Yes. I mean, yeah, there were a lot of moments where you, you know, you described your the, the beginning and it did have to do with Regis. I mean, we don't know yeah. if it's the network, the WABC, whatever, but like we said, yeah, that's the thing that's never clear. I'm like, who is speaking? Is this one person speaking or are these many people speaking is our, I don't know is the point. I don't know. And as time went on, there was more clarity. And, you know, I am still like, I live in this place of trying to look at it always from the bright side, the positive side, because I think that people are fundamentally good. People are not fundamentally bad. I know like in the troll universe and social they're media, they're bad. Yeah, Like they're bad, right? Like <laughs> people are bad. But are those are those people even real? It's so easy to sit in anonymity behind. Those people are not in the arena, right? The yeah. arena. They're not in it. I'm going to go Brene Brown right now. But like if you're in, if you're at home hidden behind a computer screen, not having read a book, 
launching criticism, I'm like, I don't have time for you. Like, I don't listen to that. I take away, I've been traveling now promoting this book and I take away, like, these are people who have read it and have really been uplifted. They've laughed. They've cried. They got it. They got it. They got the message that it is, there are universal things. Work is hard. Play is fun. Childbirth isn't for pussies. You know, it's like these are the universal truths that we all experience. And so I am not going to entertain criticism from people who didn't read the book. It's like, that's not my, that's not, don't read it. Everybody's busy. You have a lot going on. You're running an empire. You're running a media empire by yourself. Oh my God. Okay. And, and so like, I get that. The fact that you took time to read my book is not lost on me. Well, I did get shit for my dog, for my aggressive dog ear, which like everyone can <laughs> fuck off. That's how I dog ear. Okay. I no, need a book. No, I mark. dog ear too. I you do dog ear too. aggressively. Mm-hmm. You guys, live wire. Kelly Ripa, I took more of your time than expected, but I could literally talk to you forever because you are just so real and so relatable. And I really recommend the book because unlike you, I'm not a big reader. So when I read a book and love it, it's it's a bigger deal than when like readers like books, you know, it's so good to meet you. And thank you so much for coming on my show, Kelly. Thank you. It was my honor. And good luck with the rest of the book to our. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Not Skinny But Not Fat. Follow me on Instagram at Not Skinny But Not Fat. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. Rate the podcast that you love so much on Apple Podcasts and write a little review. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next Tuesday. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.